Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Unfortunately, there was a lot of bad news this week. There was another hate crime committed in a place of worship as congregants were celebrating the last day of Passover in a Poway synagogue in the San Diego area. This happened this past weekend. A 19-year-old man opened fire, killing one and injuring three others. He had a manifesto posted online. Uh, he said that he was inspired by the recent shootings in at the Pittsburgh synagogue and the attacks in New Zealand. My producer Miranda joins us for how some of these events unfolded and how these attacks continue to be accelerated by online platforms. It's not clear exactly how it got started. Some are reporting that the gunman was yelling Jews were ruining the world before opening fire. But he opened fire. He shot and killed a 60-year-old woman. He wounded the rabbi. He also wounded a 34-year-old man and an 8-year-old girl. That 34-year-old man was getting, he got shot in the leg after he was helping hide children. And the 8-year-old girl received shrapnel in the face. The rabbi was shot in the hand. And the woman who passed, her name is Lori Kay. She was a member of the synagogue. And she died trying to protect the rabbi. She jumped in front of the bullets to save his life. Her husband was there. He's a physician. He was helping people as well. I think he was about to administer some CPR to some people. And they said, come over here. We need some more help. And right when he was going to help this one particular person, he realized that was his wife. And then he fainted after that. It's just horrible, horrible to hear that. John Ernest was then taken into custody a few blocks away from the synagogue after the shooting. He actually fled the scene after an off-duty border patrol agent who was working as a security guard shot him. There were at least 100 people inside that synagogue, Oscar, when the shots fired. So they're yeah. saying that this border patrol agent likely prevented this from being a way bigger casualty. They also said that the gun that he was using jammed or malfunctioned or right. something. So Maybe that's why he ran away. The Border Patrol agent fired at him, didn't hit him, but hit his car. Then he drove away and he called 911 on himself and gave up almost immediately. The suspect actually called into the California Highway Patrol to report that he was involved in the shooting. He gave his location. He gave cross streets and he pulled over his car. He exited the, the vehicle. They said that he jumped out of the car with his hands up and he was immediately taken into custody by the San Diego police. And they said that there was no incident. He didn't put up a fight. He didn't try to shoot at cops. One of the officers said that the rifle was clearly very visibly sitting right on his front passenger seat. This guy had a manifesto that he posted online to 8chan, one of these dark corners of the Internet. And he specifically called out these examples and a couple others as being his inspiration for wanting to do it. Something clicked in his head when the New Zealand shooter went and live streamed the whole thing. It clicked in his head that he had to take action. He had a very similar website to the New Zealand Christchurch shooter where he had a Q&A section, basically like an interview for himself in advance. And one of the things was, you know, hey, when did you start planning this attack? And he wrote four weeks ago, I decided that I was doing this. Four weeks later, I did it. I remember a specific moment in time after Brenton Terrence's sacrifice. He calls it a sacrifice. That something just clicked in my mind. If I won't defend my race, how can I expect others to do the same? 
it was one week after that New Zealand shooting that he set fire to a mosque in the Escondido area. He said, I scorched a mosque in, in Escondido. He talks about how it was unfortunate that they were able to put the fire out so quickly. Mm-hmm. That happened a week after Christchurch, New Zealand. Shortly after that, he decided he was going to do that. And four weeks later, it happened. He's a 19-year-old guy. He wrote many times in his manifesto about how he had his whole life ahead of him. Even talking about his family, his, they would say things like, why would you be doing this? He goes into detail about how he didn't inherit any of these beliefs from his parents, no influence from his family, and that they would be furious with him asking, why would you throw your life away? You risked everything because you're going to nursing school. You can have a great career and have a wonderful family. And he goes as far as to explain he's not mentally ill. He writes in his manifesto, I've seen plenty of mentally ill patients. It's heartbreaking. I know what it looks like. No, I do not have mental illness. He seems to be someone who's very self-aware of why he's doing this. He said, I'm just a normal dude who wanted to have a family, help and heal people and play piano. We talk a lot about social media and these dark corners of the Internet where people go. And, you know, he was on these message boards. He said that he had only been lurking his words on these message boards for a year and a half. And that's what's so crazy, so confusing is that that's how quickly it took for all this hate and stuff on these message boards to warp his mind even mentioned, I didn't get this from my family, but I had to take a stand and, and sacrifice for my race and things like that. You hear that same message repeated when you hear about people who are American and they travel to ISIS and they get radicalized online in a very short amount of time. They find these impressionable people and give them a reason to hate other people. As far as ideology, he doesn't claim to be motivated by any political beliefs. This is purely like a white nationalism thing in his Q&A section, one of the first questions he answered was whether he's a Trump supporter or not. And he wrote, you mean that Zionist, Jew-loving, anti-white traitor? Don't make me laugh. So this isn't a political thing. This isn't a make America great again thing. He's in a league of his own, this guy. It's just scary to think that a guy can do something in New Zealand and it inspires this guy to act. And then he did it so quickly. It, it's it's terrifying, really. He's been charged with one count of first degree murder, three counts of first degree attempted murder. Just a couple of updates since we did that story. They said that the gunman was wearing a tactical vest when he entered the synagogue and he had a semi-automatic rifle and five 10 round magazines with him. Uh, they said that he did stop firing, possibly because the gun jammed and he couldn't eject the magazine to reload. They also said when the off-duty Border Patrol agent fired at him that some of that stuff was caught on surveillance video. He did buy that rifle legally, they said. Yeah, and the synagogue had actually applied for federal grant money to install gates and more secure doors to better protect the area. And that $150,000 was approved back in September, but they only just received the money in late March. So the church hadn't even gotten a chance to use those funds yet. I mean, you're probably still formulating a plan for how you want to use it. The parents of the shooter did speak out. They said, to our great shame, he is now part of the history of evil that has been perpetuated on Jewish people for centuries. So they are not happy with what's going on here. And they are cooperating with investigators as much as they can. So as the story develops, we'll probably have more. There's been a lot of talk lately about terrorism, and uh, we just talked about the shootings in San Diego at the synagogue there. There was a terror plot that was thwarted by the FBI in Los Angeles. Mark Stephen Domingo, he's 26 years old from Reseda. 
He was a U.S. Army infantryman with combat experience in Afghanistan, was just arrested this past Friday for trying to coordinate a terrorism plot. There was multiple locations that he was thinking about, L.A. area freeways, white supremacist rally in Long Beach. He wanted to kill his neighbor at one point. There's all sorts of things. There's this weird central point also with the story we talked about in San Diego and with this one also both people felt that this shooting in New Zealand where all these Muslims were killed there in Christchurch was kind of the central point for them, the catalyst for them to really start wanting to make these plans. In this case, Miranda, what happened with Mark Stephen Domingo? If John Ernest in San Diego was motivated and inspired by the Christchurch shootings, it's fair to say that Domingo was also, but in the opposite direction. He was motivated to defend Muslims, defend Islam, and he was going to take out Christians, Jews, anybody who wasn't a Muslim. It didn't matter to him. In March and April of 2019, this guy Domingo started planning and took steps to manufacture and use weapons of mass destruction in order to commit mass murder. Just last week, he purchased several hundred nails to be used as shrapnel inside of an explosive device. His method was three inches or longer because he wanted to pierce the skin enough to puncture vital organs and cause slowly bleeding out death. He had collaborators who he thought were working with him, but they were in fact undercover law enforcement officers. So from the very beginning, there was never a chance this plan was going to happen. Yeah, and the investigators and the FBI stressed that, that there was really never a danger to the community because he was constantly being monitored and all of the co-conspirators that he thought he was working with, he was solo on this whole thing, but everybody he thought was was an FBI informant or some confidential human source, they call them. He expressed violent jihad that he wanted to commit. As you said, he wanted this to be a retribution for attacks against Muslims. Mm -hmm. He had this willingness to become a martyr. There was all sorts of plans that they were trying to figure out, but they could never really settle on one thing. And, you know, I guess one of the FBI informants asked him, you know, are you, would you be willing to die for this or anything? And he's like, martyrdom, bro. I'm yeah. going to do it. Martyrdom, bro. This all started on March 3rd. He posted on a website and we're, we don't know what it is yet. He posted, America needs another Vegas event, something to kick off a civil unrest. It's not about winning a civil war. It's about weakening America, giving them a taste of the terror they gladly spread all over the world. And it was there that he met these other two FBI agents whose job it is to monitor these types of websites and try to engage with these people and see what their plans are. So he posted that. And then a couple of days later, he posted after the shootings in New Zealand that there needs to be retribution. And from there, it all spiraled out of control. He met and befriended this FBI agent online. A couple of days later, met up in real life in person to discuss potential plans. One of their plans was to just drive around. He modified an AK-47 that he actually carried around with him everywhere. And one of the plans he wanted to do was drive around with this AK-47 and just do drive-by shootings on police officers. He wanted to find cops who had their windows rolled down and murder them and drive away. Early on, he could never really figure out what the plan was. He just wanted to do something. There was multiple meetings that he had with FBI informants. He became obsessed with this idea of getting his hands on an IED, an improvised explosive device. He wanted to get his hands on some type of pressure cooker bomb that would be capable of killing at least 50 people. And in correspondence that he had with these informants, he said, you know, I'll be honest, I'm smart in history, but I failed chemistry. Science is not my forte. And he was trying to get somebody 
who could be a bomb maker for him. And that's where this third person in their group comes in. This is another FBI agent that is connected through the first FBI agent. And he tells Domingo, hey, I've got this brother. That's what they call each other. They're brothers. I've got this brother out in Victorville, California, who knows how to make bombs. He doesn't want to roll with us because he has a family, but maybe I can get him to either make these bombs for us or show me how. And that's when Domingo just sparked. He said, learn how to do it. I want the effing details down to the letter. And let's get this going. Yeah, that was on April 19th when he finally kind of said, "Okay, this is the plan I wanted to do. He wanted to target a white nationalist rally in Long Beach. There had been some time where uh, there was a right wing Facebook group called the United Patriot National Front that created an event called Freedom's Safest Place. There was going to be some counter rallies. There was all sorts of things that were going on, but that was the one that he wanted to target. He even had a backup plan to target uh, some other rally in Huntington Beach. Either way, that's where he wanted to be at with this attack. Yeah, he got focused when he realized that this attack was going to be happening. But between these times, he was trying to just come up with plans to murder as many people as possible. He wanted to plant bombs on the freeways in Los Angeles and just detonate them at certain times. He wanted to plant bombs on the Santa Monica Pier on the weekend. And he had this plan he concocted where he would set up the detonators on remote control cars and be within 100 feet to try to blow them up. But he was concerned that he'd be too close and get hurt himself. So there goes the martyrdom, bro. Right, exactly. Really a win for law enforcement. They did a great job of identifying this guy on these crazy chat rooms where they're talking about taking action like this, just a great job of identifying him, following him, really getting him up to the point where they arrested him. They arrested him when they finally delivered two fake bombs to him, thinking he was ready to go. And that night, he even went out to Long Beach to go scout the area where he wanted to blow them up. Right. Domingo met up with his partners at Bluff Park, which was where these rallies were to be happening in Long Beach. He walked around the location with his two partners and said that they should try to find the most crowded areas in order to kill the most people in the attack. Domingo instructed the other two guys that after they detonated the explosive, they should walk away, go their separate ways, all take three different cars. Nobody is seen together with each other. And after surveilling that location the night before it was supposed to happen, Domingo drove the other guys back to their original meeting locations where they were going to put the bombs in Domingo's car. He picked one up and that's when the FBI swarmed. We'll see how this one pans out. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Oscar. After a few days of some very impassioned debate, the Florida House of Representatives passed a controversial bill that would permit classroom teachers to carry guns in schools. It's an expansion of a guardian program that was created after the Parkland shooting last year. The new bill is opt-in for school districts, and it also includes other safety procedures. We spoke to Colleen Wright, education reporter for the Miami Herald, for more on this story. There was already a program called the Guardian Program. It was implemented after the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas on Valentine's Day in 2018, last year. And it basically authorized school staff to carry weapons. That bill did exclude classroom teachers. The people who would be qualified could be like counselors or maybe the football coach or even the principal, anybody who wasn't in a classroom full time. So what this bill does is kind of just widens it so that just your regular you know, math teacher or social studies teacher could uh, carry a weapon in the classroom. 
It also changes some other kind of like granular details in the bill, like for example, to have the guardian program. These are all voluntary. So if a school district wanted to opt in, but the sheriff's office that they were working with didn't want to, this new bill that you know is headed to, to Governor DeSantis's uh, office would allow districts to pursue that anyway, uh, even without their their sheriff's department's permission. How many school districts are indicating that they will be opting in? I've been reading a bunch of different things. A lot of them, it seems like, might not want to, but they will try to instead still hire more staff dedicated to being armed, still not arming the teachers. I wouldn't call support for arming teachers wildly popular, at least when it comes to the school districts themselves. Uh, Plenty of school districts have actually passed resolutions and I, you know, school board items that ban uh, teachers from carrying guns. So it would only be a few. I believe there's only been about like 20 or so out of 67 counties in Florida, about 20 or so have opted into the Guardian program, you know, for this past school year, the 2018-19 school year. It wasn't for them to really necessarily arm like a school staffer. It was mostly to hire like an armed guard because that's kind of what the bill boils down to is they just want a good guy with a gun in every school, whether that's a school resource officer or sworn police officer or just a security guard um, who is designated and has to go through the training or a teacher. It's just got to be one of those three things. For example, Broward, where where the shooting happened, they couldn't get it together in enough time to kind of contract some of those services with local police departments to get sworn law enforcement officers. So they did have to go the armed guardian route and take on security staff. What kind of training, if school districts were going to opt in and they were going to arm teachers, what kind of training would they have to go through with the sheriff's departments? Some people say that's not good enough. You need to have a sworn officer. And other people, you know, other people, uh, supporters of the Guardian program will say it's plenty of training. Um, I believe off the top of my head, it's about 132 hours of training, uh, including like firearm training, uh, diversity training, I believe, is also in there. I actually went out to a training last year uh, in Broward County for the Broward County Guardians, and they were doing target practice. So it depends on who you talk to. Some people say it's efficient training. Some say it isn't. Is there a specific style of firearm that teachers or staff would be permitted to use? That's always decided at the local level. At the school district level, there's been talk about, well, should the weapon be concealed? Should it not be concealed? Where should it be stored? Those are all decisions made at the local level. So, uh, no, they're not. I I don't believe they're walking around with like AR-15s or anything. Um, But I do believe that they're handguns. When the Parkland shooting happened, there was a commission created to investigate some of the failings that happened there. And the commission did recommend that the legislature allow classroom teachers to be armed. I know that Republicans in the House were pointing to some of that as reasons to expand the program. What were some of the uh, rifts happening between Republicans and Democrats when debate on this was happening? The commission chair, Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Galtieri, would always say, you know, two guys is better than one guy with a gun, three is better than two, and four is better than three. He was of the idea that the more people armed on campus, the better, and could have stopped a shooter like Nicholas Cruz, who multiple times, you know, had kind of like a downtime to reload his gun. Democrats have argued that that there's already enough on teachers. Teachers don't want to be armed. They, they want to be armed with books and supplies and materials and, and professional development, not guns. Many people have also said that, you know, just because you have more armed guards or or people carrying firearms on campus that that might not do anything. A lot of people point to the fact that there was a school resource officer at Stoneman Douglas that day who who wasn't active and did not go into the building despite hearing 
shots. So there, there has been a lot of rifts. It's a very passionate debate. A lot of a lot of feelings flying around. So we'll see. The, the thing about this bill is that it, you have to opt in. A school district right. has to opt in. So it, it is optional for districts, and and I think a lot of districts are, are really you know grateful for for that line in that bill. Colleen Wright, education reporter at the Miami Herald. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.